Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. Coming to you from the Baker Law Group, Studio 107, it's SOL. Live, raw, and uncensored with your host, Drew Baker. Shaking that Bank. just happened. Matt Dixon, the Iron Man. A podcast dedicated to protecting your rights by exploring the law, politics, and current events. You have the right to remain silent and listen or call in and become a part of the show. And now, here's your host, Shay and Babe. Welcome to the SOL Podcast. I am Shake and Bake. I can't believe that actually worked. Where we scheduled the stream and it came on automatically. Crazy. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's awesome. Well, I'm going to do an introduction around the table. We've got the Iron Man here today. How are you doing, Iron Man? Fantastic, buddy. Otherwise... Ready for some crazy calls today. Yes, and a.k.a. the master of distraction, Thank as you. I think we're going to call him going forward. Look, squirrel. That's great. And who, who do I hear from in the background there? Was that special K? Do you have a sound effect? No applause or anything? Nothing yet. No, we need to come up with the special K sound effect. I just haven't really put anything together as of yet, but we'll, we'll get that. We also have to get you in the intro because you're still missing from the intro. But this is going to be a fun day today, isn't it? I think we've got all kinds of interesting things to discuss. And who knows who's going to call in to the, what we had previously called the SOL Line. hotline but we've changed it now it's the sol legal line legal line if you don't like it you can comment and say you don't like it and come up with something better you love that alliteration i do the two l's two l's legal line yeah uh, he what he likes illiterate oh no alliteration alliteration oh, okay. yeah we weren't talking about you matt thank you no um we, as you know, you can find us on YouTube since you're watching it, but you can also find us on Facebook, iHeartRadio, Buzzsprout, Spotify, Verbal, Pandora. That was a pretty good list that time. I don't know if I missed anybody. I normally miss something. No, that was good. Okay, good. I think you might have gotten them all. Finally. Today's show, we're going to do a couple things. We're first going to go through something that we call the one-party consent rule in Ohio. Specifically, this involves whether or not I'm allowed to record Matt and I's conversation uh, to play for my buddies to you know make fun of what he said, because it's generally what I do. Uh, is that legal? Does he have any, I guess, legal action against me for doing that? Or what if Kelsey was sneaking around the quarter, otherwise known as the special K, kind of like a special, special agent, and decided to record our conversation without our consent? Ooh. What would happen? Uh-oh. What does Ohio law say about that? So that's going to be one of the topics. The next is the call in to our show legal line, which is going to allow you to ask any question that you'd like to ask today. Um, you can also call in and say, Hey, I'm asking for a friend, even if maybe you're asking for yourself, but you just don't want to let that all out there. I get it. But nonetheless, we'll try to do our best at answering the question or if you have an issue that we have no idea on, perhaps we can refer you to someone after the show uh, via the Facebook Messenger or otherwise to make sure you get to somebody that can answer your question. I wouldn't put a lot of stock in what Matt has to say, but I'm happy to give wow. you some actual legal advice today. Now, Kelsey's here to provide um, a bit of assistance on what would a person that's not a lawyer think about that? The question. layman's perspective. You can take whatever I say to the bank. And that was a lay woman, I think, Matt. You said oh lay man. Gosh. I don't think it's a Are, lay. Really? Is that a where we're going with this? Yeah. We actually have another. Lay person. We, that's true. And we also have somebody else in the studio today. Is the enforcer in the studio? Oh, my God. How long has it been? since It's been so long that the enforcer was removed. <laughs> removed. From the intro. From the intro. Not oh because God. we didn't like her there, but she had to take a long sabbatical. Yes. She's a motherly sabbatical, I believe. Yes. But so great to have her kicked back. Kicked off. You did not get kicked off. That Never. is that is not true. That is not true. But she's back and she's manning the phone lines today. She is the official call screener. So you got to get through her. Just like at the office, if you call in, you got to get through her to get to me. She is the wall, right? Oh, definitely. Oh, he yeah. distracted again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
master of distraction. All right. Before we get into it, we will be giving the oh-so-dreaded disclaimer here in a moment. But am I missing anything else about the show today? Or should we talk, Kelsey, why don't you give us an update on what's coming up in the next couple of weeks? Next Friday, we have Morgan Masters, who's the employment attorney here in Columbus. She'll come in and answer questions about um, different employment laws and whether or not we're going to, you can get fired for not getting the COVID vaccine. Talk about fun stuff like that. And then the next week is um, Power Beliefs with Stephen Carr. So he's going to come in and talk about today's political climate and how people are just having trouble relating to each other. So if you can sort of identify the way your mind works, then it makes it all that much easier to talk to other people and find some common ground with each other. Yeah, that sounds like a heck of a lineup. And I know that especially even before we get to Stephen Carr, there are a lot of questions surrounding for employers and employees you know, what do I have to do that my employer may not have required me to do in the past, including vaccines, maybe even wearing a mask because, you know, I think Morgan Masters is going to be a great episode. She's going to be here helping us understand employer employee rights and responsibilities and, you know, what happens when you get fired, what can you be fired for, you know, what's off limits. So I, I think it's going to be a great episode for people to listen in and figure out what their rights are. I totally agree. It's going to be fun. So we have that out there right now. Um, It's been advertised on all the social media outlets and the newsletter is going to be coming out soon. Um, It's on social media, but we may be sending some emails as well just to bring that to everybody's attention. So you remember to tune in. But before we go any further, especially today, because we'll be giving some legal suggestions Yes, or just suggestions. Suggestions of sorts. Gut reactions. Gut reactions, but yeah, definitely not any advice because we don't give legal advice unless you're a client, but we will give some suggestions. I got to play. Don't we have some kind of a disclaimer for that or something? Sure do. Here it comes. Remember, the views and opinions expressed on this show are meant for informational purposes only and are not to be construed as legal advice. There is no way in any way that we are creating an attorney-client relationship. Well, it looks like the phone lines, there must be at least a thousand callers. So we're probably going to have to start off with our legal topic of the day, which is this little thing called the one-party consent rule. Who does wants? That, does that mean I'm only allowed to have one party? Well, it means that only one party can consent. Uh, I just thought maybe I could only have one party a year or something. I'm not sure what that meant. That sounds right up corny alley, which is... Uh, you got any dad jokes for us? I today? have so many dad jokes. I'm not even going to get into. Go ahead and right throw now. one but out no, there no, just I'm for good. fun. I'm good. Oh, so, come on, so just, look, just give us one. So one party consent rule. It's always a question like who can record me, who can't record me, and what situations can I record a conversation? Uh, a lot of people think that they can never be recorded. It's like you can't record me or you can't use that against me. I didn't agree, you know, for you to record that conversation. Well, I think by the nature of what it's called, yeah, it's very confusing. One party consent almost infers that we've had a discussion about this and I consented, but you didn't consent. And that's, that, that's not necessarily like what it is. We don't need to have a prior conversation as I understand it. It's just a decision by one of the parties to do the recording, right? But, but it doesn't make sense when you hear it. You think one party consent. Oh, you guys must have sat down. And one of them said, yeah, yeah we're going like, to do this. The other one said, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't, don't want to record, record me. But since you said me. it's okay, I guess you can record me. Yeah, and that's where I think it really gets very confusing. And this is where it comes up a lot where people will say, I didn't consent to that. Well, how many people were talking? And if you have two people talking, like Matt and I having a conversation, then arguably Either I can consent to it and record it, or Matt can consent to it and record it. But just we, just by the nature of one of us recording the conversation is consent. We don't have to like audibly say or consent to the recording. If I press a record button on our conversation, I've consented, obviously, to yeah. record the conversation. And that fits within the rule. It does. And that's where, again, it, it, it is a bit confusing. And where it gets really more complicated is... And this is what comes up a lot. It's not the two people talking that want to record each other, but it's a third party and special case case 
listening in around the corner. corner. Yeah. Yeah. Plank creeping private investigator, the special K is trying to pull out her iPhone and record a conversation that the two of us are having. That is a different situation, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's not one of the parties in the conversation consenting to the recording. That's a third party recording. And do you think there's a way to get consent to do that? If you're a third party, do you think you can record someone and it become something that's used in as an evidentiary uh, tool or an evidentiary portion of a, a trial that was recorded by a third party if you obtained their consent, the two people that were talking? Do you think that's possible? Before or after the recording? Are you talking about like post-recording? Well, that's a good question. I think either way, the, the parties would or could consent to them being recorded or if they had been recorded consent to the fact that they were and and then have it used that way but essentially what it is if it's done in a nefarious way so if i'm doing it in a way that i know the other party doesn't know i'm trying to dig some dirt on them and they're talking about some things that i can use in a case later that's going to possibly tarnish their case or if this is just in a personal situation you know a lot of times this stuff as i understand it comes up in domestic cases where one of the spouses may be recording a conversation between a spouse and a potentially you know, mistress, maybe mistress a mistress of some sort kind of situation. Got it. Um, and when that happens, nope, not no. good. That's not going into the book of evidence. I don't believe, but are there other examples, Kelsey, that you know of that are maybe more news related as of late that um, may involve some kind of recording? Cause I thought of one just a little bit ago. Well, I can make, there's a couple of them. Um, more recent, though, is the CNN got busted on Project Veritas. There was one of their employees, I think he was a technical director, and he got, they set him up with a girl on Tinder, and he went out on like five dates with her, and she was recording him the whole time, like bragging about how CNN would, like 100% because of CNN, they got Donald Trump out. And some of the stuff he says on camera is pretty damning, but they released it. So it sounds like they were allowed to do it without getting sued. Interesting. Tinder. Hmm. Sounds like a Facebook app that you can. Yeah. Tinder's a risky, risky road. Sounds like risky road. (laughs) You might find yourself very distracted too. I've heard. But this is also too in the Masterfully distracted. Masterfully distracted. Since this is all the like beef between Kanye West and Taylor Swift too, where he was recording her phone conversation with him, and then they released it. And I think in the state that at least one of them was in, it was a one-party recording state where you didn't have to get consent from the other person. Mm, but in okay. the other state, it was a two-party consent where you were supposed to get consent. So what do you do in those situations? Where That's tricky. You're talking to somebody tricky. across state lines. I would say that if it's if it happens to be a diversity of citizenship type situation where you've got a plaintiff and a defendant from two different states, then it's going to be a choice of law. Like the, the, you're going to have to make arguments as to which law to apply. So if it is Ohio's law, then you're going to have the benefit of the one party consent. If it's a state that doesn't recognize that and says that there always has to be consent to record, then you know you're, you're not going to be able to use that as evidence. And in fact there could be criminal penalties for it. That's something I was going to also bring up. If you're secretly invading the privacy of another under the Ohio law, there are penalties and it's actually a felony. So it's, it's not something to brag about that you got some dirt on somebody by recording them because it's potentially sounds like a felony. And then of course, if you're doing anything even more nefarious, like video recording a person changing, you know, you've got even bigger issues than just the uh, one felony. You're going to probably have a multitude. Let's let's bring up another hypothetical. This was something that... By the way, real quick, uh, Kristen, it looks like there are so many calls, it's going to be difficult for you to sift through who has priority. Um, How are you going to manage that? I don't know. My fingers can barely keep up. Okay, well, just try to keep them at bay until we get this segment done. So, all right. I'll hold off. All right, so with this hypothetical, let's just say, for instance, you have... Uh, security cameras in your home or around your home. Yeah. And you're not consciously or intentionally 
recording yourself or your conversation. Mm, I like this one. Okay. Yeah. And you and another party are sitting down talking, and then you end up with this recording. You didn't maybe technically consent to record yourself. Yeah. So how does that fall under the rule? I, I would say you have to consent. You're not consenting there to it, right? There's no actual consent. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to use my own recording because it wasn't an intentional act. I don't know. Is it intentional when you set it up, though? So when you're doing that? You no, you would set up these cameras as sort of to catch potential bad guys right you're yeah porch pirates you got a robber that's trying to get in your back door or something and Gotta look out for the bad guys bad guys you got the bad guys bad guys look up part of the law today though and it said that with the um when a third party is doing it they are allowed to do that if the conversation is happening in a place where you reasonably think that you might be overheard so if you oh, so you had no expectation right of you didn't have an expectation yeah. of privacy you're which is starbucks you know having a conversation that. You set up this ring doorbell or whatever. You're like having a conversation on your porch. Like, why would you expect to have privacy there when you knowingly set up the video thing that is motion activated and you know it's going to start recording the second you start talking? Is this lady a lawyer or what? I don't know. She sounds like she's making a legal argument to me. Yeah. Third year. That's what this whole law is, I think, designed to protect against is privacy. Yeah. So if you don't have a reasonable expectation that your conversation is in any way private, then it would be hard to argue that, you know, there's some sort of consent involved there. Now, another thing to think about, this comes up in some of the work you do, Matt. I don't know why it just popped in my head, but what about these situations where I want to buy a house? Speaking of ring cameras, I go to the house with my agent and me and my agent are having a conversation about things we like in the house, things we don't possibly even numerical figures of what I'm comfortable with paying for that particular residence. How does that work? Because now the homeowner, if they do have ring cameras, they can access those recordings. Do you think that if they access those recordings and then use those as part of the negotiation process to get you know a higher bid, do you think that that's potentially criminal in nature? Because Arguably speaking, they weren't maybe intentionally recording those conversations. They didn't know they were going to take place, but they're using them in a way that that benefits the overall sale because they're driving up the price. So I know that under the MLS, so for this is for real estate, sale of real estate, that you're required to disclose whether or not there are cameras on the premises, whether or not they can record video, audio, or both. Okay. And so it has to be made known to the parties who are coming on to the property. Is that known through the agent or yes. is that something so in writing? The agent. So the or? agent will see that in the listing. Okay. It'll show that there are surveillance cameras, audio and or video or both. And then they make that disclosure to their, to their clients. And then it's up to them at that point. Do you have those discussions at the front door? Right. Or do you wait till you get back to your car? Uh, do you have them in the living room? So yeah. I, I had this exact same thing. My house was on the market. I had a lot of showings. I had a lot of people coming through the house. And every time they go through a front door, back door, side door, I can see them. I can hear their discussions. I can, you know, if they're talking about life in general, they're talking about the property or whatever, I can hear that. So those disclosures were made to those, um, to those people that uh, there were surveillance cameras on the property. Okay. Well, then it's probably not going to fall. At least I wouldn't think in a criminal context. Again, with the criminal context, you have to have the intent. Mm-hmm. So if you're lacking the intent, but then, you know, you happen to be scrolling through your ring camera later, uh, you know, it's got audio. Most of these ring cameras have audio now. And you're like, oh, this is an interesting conversation. And then you use it. Maybe you have a civil remedy at that point for some form of invasion of privacy, because clearly you you benefited from it if you used it that way. Right. Um, but otherwise, then I don't think that would really rise to the level of a, a crime because you don't necessarily, at least the recording itself wasn't something that you were intentionally doing. It just happened to be on and you checked right. it later and, and maybe used it. But this might sound funny, but I actually didn't want to listen to their comments because I, I don't know. Cause I you just, were distracted. Yes. Cause that would have been my I guess. Just, I don't know. I didn't want to hear like anything potentially negative about, you know what I mean? I just didn't want to hear that stuff. And yeah. I just said, you know what? It's kind of uncomfortable. It is. It makes you feel like awkward. Yeah. You're to like, am to... I going to be able to sell this thing? If you hear somebody right. say bad things about your, your, property. well, that's the other thing. You don't want to hear bad things. Right. <laughs> you're like, so no, what till I fix it? 
fix up for the next person. You'll yeah, that. Yeah, well, I, I just sort of treated it more as a uh, precaution against people coming in that, you know, maybe they're set up to come in for a showing, but you see them walking out with something that maybe they didn't walk in with. You never know, right? And yeah, so that's well, that was the main reason. The hard part for me, though, is I had showings literally every half hour for the entire day. So I wouldn't have known until the end of the day that something may have been missing and it could have been one of 18 different people. So yeah. it wouldn't have really mattered for that. But, you know, in a lot of situations, you only have one showing in a given, you know, three or four hour time span. Right now, it's a little different in that market. But yeah. anyway, yes, you, you have to disclose the existence of those cameras right now. I mean, even down in Florida, when we rent the house, we have cameras there. And my general rule is if anybody goes there, I just turn the cameras off. And even though they're outside cameras, it still makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah, I know for security purposes, whatever, but it's just, I don't want to be you know, listening to anybody's conversation. It's just an yeah. awkward feeling. Again, that's one of those kind of reasonable expectation situations where, you know, are you expecting to be heard? And if you are, and you're expecting to be recorded or potentially could, could record that, that changes the game a bit. But one of the interesting things about Ohio's law is that it allows that. And again, the, the misnomer that always comes up because of it is people believe I think rightfully so. Logically, it sounds like we've got to have a conversation before I press record to make sure you're, you're okay with it or somebody's okay with it. And in reality, it just takes those two people and one of them can decide, I'm going to give consent, I'll record it. So it's, it's very backward in my opinion, but it's yeah. that's what it is. I have one other uh, question, pop culture reference with it too. I was watching the HBO documentary about Woody Allen and Mia Farrow. And like those two are both so crazy, but they have all these audio clips of them, their phone conversations with each other. Right. And at one point, I can't remember which one asks the other one, are you recording this? And they say no. But clearly they are because you're sitting there watching our, the documentary and you can hear the recording. Yeah. So when yeah. somebody directly asks you that, you can lie to them and be like, oh, no, I'm not recording even though you are, and you're still allowed to use that against them. Hmm. Did I stump? The only issue with that I would see is, I don't know if you have a legal obligation to be honest. I mean, it, you know, maybe you could say that some form of a fraud, you know, cause you're at that point, you're, you're clearly lying to the person, you know, that it's being recorded. Right. So, I mean, there, there may be a, an argument if somebody tries that, but I think more importantly, what that would do for the person that, that asked the question and was lied to is it would prevent it from being actual evidence because that person could say, look, if they had a record of it, it, it say, it, I mean, if they're recording it, right, there'll be a record. Yeah. So if it says on the recording, are you recording this? And the person says, no, I, I think that'd be a good argument as to why that should not be admitted as evidence because, you know, there's, there's at least been some deception there. I don't know the answer for sure, but that, that would be my argument if I was on the other side of it, as I would say, I would say if it's a one party state, too bad. Cause I said uh, we could. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely a good argument back and probably more, you know, along the lines of the law, but I don't think there's any fraud there. I don't think that falls. It's not going to be to the level fraud. of fraud. Yeah. You know, maybe you could introduce that at, any any hearing in the matter talking about that piece of evidence maybe the truthfulness as to the individual right so if you're bringing up their character yeah. you can impugn their character yeah. by saying clearly yeah, this true. person's a liar i asked them if they were recording this and they said no how can you you know yeah that how would, can you believe this person now yeah were you that, lying then, that, you that lying would now? be from to, to your point that would just destroy the credibility of that particular individual yeah um so that that could do do yourself a lot more harm shoot yourself in the foot by doing that. But I don't know that that's one that it'd be kind of fun to research some cases and see if that's ever come up and how it's been handled. There was another uh, recording and I, this is something that uh, I guess I'm just not hundred percent sure on because it's government in nature. But when uh, president Trump was talking about that Ukraine, Ukraine, thank you. And that Ukraine issue where, you know, that was recorded obviously. And then portions of it were released to the press, not, in, in full, but portions of it were, and clearly that was uh, destructive in a lot of ways, at least the way it was presented. Yeah. But I guess as a president, do you, 
I wonder if you consent to all of your conversations being recorded, but I had heard an argument somebody made, which I thought was a damn good one, really. And that was if other leaders think that their conversations are confidential between, you know, the president of our country and then, you know, the ambassador or or, or the president of a different country. And then they find out that our media instead has access to those conversations and blast them everywhere. Don't you think that's going to affect future negotiations and future, future discussions in terms of whether those discussions will be confidential or whether they're going to leak out? And would that prevent them from telling us certain things that could be beneficial to the country? I would think so. Yeah. And I think that would be, or could be a real problem because they've lost that sense of privacy that they thought that they had. So another one, just another example. Kristen, I know you're tired over there. I've seen her respond to at least 2,000 messages since we've been on here, but it does seem to be a little quiet. And we were promised by certain individuals that they were going to call in, that they were going to call questions. in. Well, and- I have a, uh, I have, I do have a question in front of us here. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. This relates, uh, it's actually pretty timely with, with, I guess there's a moratorium right now on evictions per se, but this one deals more with breaking a lease early. Yes. Uh, and yeah. so, so essentially the question is if I want to, uh, leave my apartment, townhome, whatever it is that you're renting, uh, but I have six months left on my lease, what, what does that mean? What can I do? What can I not do? Right. Um, now this sort of falls, I guess, squarely within some of the things that I do a little more day in and day out than you drew, but typically, you know, how what, do you know, uh, maybe, maybe I do a lot of side lease work. Oh, interesting. Tell me about that. Right. Now, this is a really great question, actually. This comes up quite a bit. Yeah. I know a little bit about this, just enough to be dangerous. I know that there is a duty to mitigate your damages. There is. So essentially, you're going to be constructively in default. You want to tell your landlord, most likely in writing, that of your intent to leave and what day you're leaving. Well, you might want to tell people what constructively is, because it sounds like you work on a construction site. Uh, so well, so you've you've you're gonna default, but you need you need to keep paying is a reality. So you're you're not technically in default because you're still paying, but you want the landlord to lease it to somebody else so you can stop paying. So constructively you're going to default, but you're not technically going to default because you're not, not paying. So you do need to keep paying the landlord or else they will have the ability to come back and get that from you. They can sue you for that money, but you're correct. They do have a duty to mitigate, which is why you want to provide them with a notice from that point forward, they have an active duty to find a new renter. Okay. So like, here's the example. I'm four months into my lease and I find out that if I move to California, I'm going to be given a new estate. I had an uncle out there that I didn't know about who left me millions of dollars in an estate. Then kind of like that. Is, yeah, didn't you get a, a an email or a text or something saying that? Yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. This might be my last episode because. Uh, very generous Canadian couple. I saw that. Um, yeah, they, Very nice. Yeah, they came into big time and they just wanted to give some money to a random American and they picked me. That so, is, that's amazing. Did, as soon as I send them my bank account information. What about your social? Is that going to be? Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah do that. Blood sample. Yeah. DNA. Good. Yeah. Legal process. They're just going to deposit $1.2 million in my account. That is awesome. That is awesome. Well, I, I saw you come in today with what appeared to be a very expensive purse. So I don't know much about purses. Matt does. I don't, but, um, either way it looked expensive. So I think you're right. You might as well just go and spend it. Get you, you're going to have to get used to that lifestyle. So you got to start early, but anyway, sorry about that detour. But anyway, in my example, I, I have this house. So I don't need this apartment anymore. I go to my landlord and I say, you know, um, I'd like to get out of my lease because I've got this, you know, great opportunity out in California. I don't need it anymore. I think the first place that you go is to the four corners of the document. Because I know, for example, our lease here, I think, has a early buyout termination clause. Is that what they're called, Matt? I may have butchered that a bit, but it could be a buyout. Yeah. It just depends. It could be named lots of different things. I think like for ours, they take a percentage of each month's rent and they multiply it by the months left. And then that's what I'd have to pay to get out of the lease. That's one, one way, but duty to mitigate sounds again, very legal in nature, but really all it means is 
since I've got uh, an extra eight months on my lease, if Matt's the landlord, he just can't sit on his butt and do nothing for eight months and just wait for the next you know tenant to come in after my lease expires. You have to actively, I don't know how how like extensive that duty is, but you have to actively do something to try to lease that premises to a new person so that I don't get stuck with eight months worth of rent if I really only have to pay two or three, right? Is that what that yeah. kind of concept of duty to mitigate means? Yeah. Yep. So so essentially it's gonna be a reasonable standard. So the landlord would have to reasonably, you know, advertise this space for rent. What do they, t- you know, and, and what you would typically do is just look at how does the landlord typically do that? It could be a scenario where that landlord says, I usually just put a sign in the front window or out front of the house, whatever it is right. that says for rent, or that landlord usually advertises the space on Zillow, truly, uh, you know, you name it, whatever those sites, whatever they normally do, they just they, have to follow that course. I, of I conduct. think that. In order to say, in order for the landlord to say, I did what I would normally do and I tried to mitigate to the best of my ability, you know, that lease could write out the full term and you have to pay the full term. It might never get relet. Right. And that's, you know, that's your problem. But the landlord does have a duty to mitigate. It'll be a reasonable and standard. Uh, and, but again, you're, you want to continue to pay or you're going to find yourself in some hot water. Here's another thought, too, from uh, Johnny Practical over here. I always say, if you can work these things out without getting a lawyer involved, you're going to be better off for a lot of reasons. One, probably less stress. Two, less money involved if it's something that you've got two parties that can come to an agreement. Now, that may not happen. If it doesn't, you obviously need to take a different route. But it never hurts to go to the landlord, explain the situation, even maybe actively help and participate in trying to find Someone to fill your your spot um, so it's not a vacant apartment or townhouse, whatever it is. And that way you avoid the legal process and a lot of extra money spent if you can come to some form of an agreement. So, Well, that comes back to what you said earlier, which is look at the four corners of the document. Does the document allow you to sublet the premises to somebody as well? So right. it may give you the option of calling a buddy or a friend or somebody you know who's out there looking for a place and you might be able to sublet it or... At the very least, if it doesn't allow you to sublet, you could bring that person in to the landlord and say, here's so-and-so. I know them personally. They'd like to take over the lease for the remainder of their term. Now, you may not be released from the obligation. Yeah. You, yeah. Know, you might you still, still have be the obligation. So if, if the they sub- didn't pay. If, or if they destroy the place. That too. And that's another big issue. If you're going to sign somebody up to stand in your shoes, you better make sure that they don't. They're make, responsible. Yeah. Friday night, the night that they decide to have 50 people over and friends that are not able to find the restroom after drinking too much or something like that. You, you know, may you, know some people like that. Yeah, there's a possibility. We may, we may have met some of those. But that's a great, I think that's a great question. It does come up a lot. And it's it's kind of a bad situation to be in because most people don't want to pay mortgage and a rent payment or right. Yeah, or two rent or payments. Two rent payments or whatever it is. So it's difficult. But maybe start by just having a good old fashioned discussion discussion with the, with the landlord. See if you can work it out. Oh boy, boy! Again, we're just absolutely swamped. Millions, millions on hold. Uh, it's getting and it's getting late. We've we've been on now for I think about uh, thirty five minutes. So I don't know if we have a whole lot left. Do you have anything over there that's beyond the landlord tenant question? I've I've got a few other real estate related questions, so I'm not going to bring those up just yet. Let's okay. see if we have anything else. Okay, I've got one here about uh, taking the test when you are pulled over for an OVI. Oh, we actually have an episode on this and it is an old episode and it could probably, probably use a little updating because that is an area of the law that changes somewhat regularly. I mean, maybe not all of the law, but the specifics and, you know, the, the tests themselves, some of the procedural uh, issues and scientific issues surrounding the test and a lot of times, whether or not certain driving habits will rise to the level of a reason to be stopped. For example, if you're driving on the line or over the line, and this is for a marked lanes violation, meaning that you know you've marked a lane. And there was a recent case on this. I'm going to save that for maybe Mr. Dominey when he comes on, because he actually had a. I think it was LinkedIn. He put an article out about it. It was very interesting. Hmm. But when he comes on, we'll talk to him about that. But generally speaking. 
anytime you decide to take a test, you are giving the prosecution some form of evidence. And try to remember that these tests are never designed for you to pass. You are being video recorded possibly by two or three cameras now. You've got body cams, cruiser cams, perhaps another officer's there with a body cam. So they're catching you from every angle. And some of these tests are just somewhat goofy. I've never walked into a restaurant or a business heel to toe. You know, I'm not, I know I'm not a circus act. I don't like, you don't go to the right restaurants. I know. Right. And then I, I generally, when I'm losing my balance, like to have my hands out to my side, not next to my side. There's a reason for that. I think it's called like equilibrium called you're uncoordinated. Yeah. Right. Well that too, but that, you know what? That's the thing. You hit the nail on the head. It's not a test of whether necessarily you're impaired or not. It is very much a test of coordination. Yeah. And some people, let's be honest, are more coordinated or less coordinated than others. So taking the test many times, you have a right in Ohio to politely say, I've been advised by an attorney to not take any test or make any statements. Am I free to go? And if the answer is no, then you've been detained and arguably you've been arrested. Anything up to that point can be used as evidence to show that there was probable cause that you were impaired. So if you chose to take the test, you've given the state a lot of evidence. I'm not advocating here as a disclaimer to go out and drink and drive and test my theory tonight. That's not what I'm saying. I am just saying that you have a a constitutional right to not make any statements. Test our statements. You are making statements about, you know, in this case, arguably coordination, but can be used against you in a way that if a jury sees you trying to walk the high wire and you're bouncing all over the place, guess what? They're going to probably think you were impaired. Were you really impaired? I don't know. I don't know. But you still gave them that. And the example I've always used, and I don't know if it's a great example or not, but I tell clients all the time, if you have a five-gallon bucket, I don't know where this came from. I just made it up one day. You get pulled over. I'm looking forward to this one. Bear with me. You get pulled over and there's a weight of that bucket. When you first pick it up and there's nothing in it, it's pretty darn light. Lift it with a finger, two fingers. For everything you do and say after you're stopped, if it's not to your benefit, which it generally won't be because we're all stupid when it comes to making statements that hurt us, especially when law enforcement's involved, you've just dumped different things into that bucket. So it might be... You said you had a few beers. I've only had a couple. I've only had a couple. I just had two. I, had a a, I was out I'm with not my as wife. Because you drunk, I am. I was out with my wife and I had a few glasses of wine. No big deal. Or there's this overwhelming, just kind of feeling that I must be honest. They'll go easy on me if I'm on. Yeah, if I don't lie to them, I'll probably get out of this. I mean, all these thoughts are going through your head. They're nervous and chatty. Yeah. Yeah. So you say something like, I had a couple beers. Well, you just threw that in the bucket. The bucket just got heavier. Then you say, all right, I'll I'll go ahead and do that walk and turn test. Well, most people, I've seen hundreds of videos over the years. Rarely do I see one where I think, boy, that person did a great job on that. And, And there's many that have even tested under the limit and they've done a terrible job on it because they weren't impaired. That's the whole issue. So for everything you're doing and saying, you're, you're putting it in the bucket and the bucket's getting heavier and heavier and heavier. The heavier the bucket, the easier it is for the state to meet their burden of proof that you're impaired beyond a reasonable doubt. And the lighter the bucket is, the more difficult it is for the state to, to make that correlation and reach their burden of proof. So just recall that if you're stopped, I mean, I, again, yeah, if the only thing they've got on you is a lane violation. Yeah. You know, or or, speed. or speeding or you had a headlight out, none of that's an indication. That Even running been... a stop sign, you know, people you, you get distracted time. and you know, you know, you don't see it whatever. So, that's not going to be enough to necessarily convince a jury that you were impaired and that's what they have to prove. You know, the best thing to do number 1, uh don't be an idiot. If you're impaired, call an Uber or call a, a Lyft or something. That's, that's the best advice. The second best advice is if you do find yourself in a predicament where maybe you had a glass of wine or something. Or four. Or four. Or ten. And I've had certain people that have been way too honest, possibly, about How their, many they've had. Yes. And it, it doesn't lead to good results. So the honest truth is if you're in that situation, the safest thing you can do is just politely, and I stress this, there's no reason to be a jerk 
to the cops. They're just doing their job. All you have to say is, I've been advised to not make any statements or take any test. Am I free to go? And leave it at that. Yep. Your attorney that you hire will be very happy that you took that route. The public will be a lot happier if you are impaired that you took an Uber. Correct. Yes. Because everybody talks about DUIs, like, I don't want a DUI. Well, what's going to happen when you kill someone and you're an average Joe or an average Jane and you're going to prison? You're going to prison. You're actually yeah. going to prison, not and, like. And then there's a civil the, action as well. Yeah. 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 It's basically a great way to ruin your life. So, so, uh, great advice. And as an aside to that, as a follow-up along this line of conversation, what we hear from time to time or get asked from time to time is, okay, but you know, so I'm intoxicated. I know I'm intoxicated. Uh, what if I just go to my car and fall asleep in my car? Oh, <laughs> boy, Kristen, this is like, I've heard something. Sounds familiar. It sounds familiar. So, I don't know why or how. Very recently, I don't, I can't put a face to a name or a name to a face, but anyway, no, this is a great question. And again, kind of like our one party consent, it seems like that would never be a problem. Yeah. Because I decided a, not to drive a car is what uh, the person's like thinking, I'm, right? I'm too drunk. I don't need to be driving home. Yeah. I'll just, you know, roll the back seat out. This is actually something that most people don't know. I've heard things like, well, what if I throw my keys out the window? <laughs> Right. Yeah. I don't even have my keys. I, I couldn't have driven keys. the car. I, I threw them out. They're in the ditch. Little did I know it's a push button start, but nonetheless. Yeah. Or it starts by an app or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Ohio does have something called a physical control. And by nature, it, it doesn't really seem to correlate well with being impaired and driving. But a physical control means that you have the physical control or ability to operate a vehicle, even though you're not operating that vehicle. And you're impaired. So if you're impaired and you're in the car and you have the ability to operate, meaning that you've got some way in which to drive that car, which again, I don't know if I'd rely on my keys or out the window and you're impaired, then you can be charged with physical control. Why is that a good thing in the sense that it's not an OVI? Because the penalties, while some of the minimums will reflect the same penalties, one of the big things is it's a zero point offense because you're not operating anything. You have the ability to do it, but you're not going to get any points like you would in an OVI, which is six points. So that, that's a big difference. Another thing is a physical control can't be used against you later in the event you were to get a, another OVI, or in this case, you know, your first, it would be considered like your first OVI. It's not an enhanceable offense, meaning that now you're looking at second offense penalties if you were charged with physical control and then you got charged with the OVI later. So it's got some benefits to the extent that it's reducing some of the, some of the damage that can be caused. And I think that was probably contemplated by the legislature. You know, we want to encourage people not to drive, but we also don't want to encourage if you go to your local watering hole, 50 cars in the parking lot with 50 people sleeping <laughs> passed out in the back. Again, we would recommend... You call Uber or Lyft. We don't. We or have, have a DD. Yeah, or have a designated driver or call a friend. Right. Whatever it is. But that is a great question because a lot of people think, well, if I just pass out here, I've got yeah. absolutely no risk. So, so um, I got a, uh, uh, another good question that came to me. Do you hear that? I do. We're the on a clock. is ticking. We're going to be, uh, we got about four minutes before oh. the enforcer has to go do some enforcing okay. at five. So we're do you want this out. other question? I do. Move on to something else. I do. I want the question. Hit okay. me. This is a this is a domestic question as well as an estate planning question. Um, and essentially, if I'm, it doesn't matter if you're getting divorced or not. This could just be your normal daily life. But in the divorce context, I've inherited a ton of money from my family. Does my soon-to-be ex-spouse get half of it? Mm, yes, this is a, this is definitely a good question. I don't know the specific answer, but I again, this is grain of salt because I don't do the domestic work, but Mr. Kuhn, Ryan Kuhn, great domestic, domestic attorney. attorney. I'd refer anybody that needs a good domestic attorney to Mr. Kuhn. He's been on the show. Mm -hmm. He would tell you that there's a difference between marital property and non-marital property. And that's pretty well defined as I understand it in the law. So there's some property that you come into the marriage with that might be separate. There's some property that you may uh, or some things you might get through the marriage that may or may not be marital property. 
I believe inheritance is one of those that is excluded. It is not marital property. It is not marital property. With a caveat. Uh Uh-oh. The caveat is if you have intermingled marital funds with it, marital property. Oh, nobody yeah. likes that. So, so there's, you know, there's, so what do you want to do? Keep it in your own little safe or coffee can in the back? Well, no. So, uh, let's, for instance, let's say you inherit a hundred thousand dollars Okay. and you have that hundred thousand dollars in an account. You don't ever stick a hundred dollars from your joint account into this account. I think Ryan talked about you this. You keep this separate, always yeah. separate and distinct. It can grow. It can deplete whatever you can use money from it, but you never deposit marital funds into that account. Now, what happens if it appreciates to your point, if you've got um, it's inherited money, it is non. So even the, even the gains, if it was all in the market, if it starts at 500 and ends up at 10 million, it is all inherited money. It is non-marital. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know that I knew that part. I did know that you want to try to keep things separate. Your divorce lawyer will like you a lot. If you keep, if you keep it separate, it makes it easy for the lawyer, but that's not likely to ever happen. Very rare for you to keep everything completely separate and apart. This is important for Special K because she just inherited, well, was it 1.2 million? 1.2 million. So if you get married, prenup, separate account, separate account. Well, prenup, prenup. That that could be subject to a prenup. Yes. And I would highly recommend it and make sure when you send those account numbers, CC me on that email. I just want to verify everything's going to be okay. And your social security number. Yes. Yes. Birthday, password. Well, we are really running uh, low on time. We've been at it for about 50 minutes and we appreciate the questions that have come in. I don't know if the phone line, maybe the legal line wasn't hot today. I don't know. Kristen, what's going on over there? Are you not running this thing properly? I know you're... She's master of distraction right now. Well, nobody can take that that prize, I was going to say, except for you. We've got a couple shows that are going to be released or as the kids say these days dropped on Buzzsprout soon. I'm going to do some editing and we're going to take some of the YouTube ones, put them on Buzzsprout and they're tend to be a little easier. I think to listen to in the car, if you're on iTunes or, you know, iHeartRadio or something versus trying to watch a YouTube while you're driving. Also a bad idea. Yeah. So we're going to do that and you can catch this episode as well as the last two in the next week or so. I'll, I'll be putting all those out there. You'll be dropping, them. dropping them. And mm, like drop. it's up, like it's hot, like it's hot. And you can find us on iTunes. You can find us on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Buzzsprout, Verbal, the whole nine yards. Kelsey, do you have anything else that you would like to ask me today that I could provide you with information on or that you'd just like to say generally because you're just disgusted with the fact that you have to sit by Matt and not me? Uh, I don't have any questions, but just to round it out with the... Uh, Project Veritas story that we talked about too. There's a difference between being wrong about something and lying about something. And when the media does stuff like that, where they create certain stories and intentionally try to mislead people with their reporting, I don't know what we can do as people to hold them accountable for it, but I think that they should be. And I think that's why everybody should tune in to this show because we will never intentionally try to steer anybody wrong. This is very, very true. Um, We're certainly trying to keep away from any nonsense or have any narrative predisposition of a narrative that we're trying to advance. I think what we're trying to do is just get down to the truth a lot of times and taking all these different sources. I think that what people can do is turn off their TV or turn off their radio. The only way... Yeah. Yeah. But you know what I mean? It's a monetary thing. If you want these companies to listen, just do what Kristen's doing. She won't drink Coke anymore. She's done. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? Enforcer? No, I will. Oh, I thought that was a house rule now. No more. It, it's supposed to be, but she sneaks them. Okay. All right. Well, but really, if you cut these companies off from their monetary funding, which a lot of times, if it's a CNN or whatever, if you don't like Fox News, if it's Fox News, once you stop watching, they don't have sponsors. And once they lose their sponsors, how do they pay their bills? So, I mean, that's about the only thing I think you can do. Yeah, they're, they're selling it in entertainment and content. And if you don't agree with the content, stop watching. That's right. That's or, else, right. or else you're continuing to help fund it. Yeah, and it's hard because I like watching it because it makes me mad. And then it gives me something to talk about. <laughs> one of those 
quote you know? that the uh, CNN guy says on the Project Veritas video is that Americans are fatigued from the COVID news. So CNN is likely going to be switching to climate change. So uh, now I kind of want to watch it just to see if that's true. Like, are they go- going to flip that switch? Well, can't, can they now? The can they now? Now that that's come out and that's made public in, in, I, in the look, light. I think CNN viewers probably do not easy, pay attention to easy. Project Veritas. Well, so I don't know if they would know. One way or the other, they will, any media outlet will do whatever gets the best ratings. At the at, end of the day. At the end of the day. Because that's what their, it's a job. It, the old follow the money. And if you want to, if you want an answer, generally, if you follow the money, you'll get it. So, well, great show today, guys. Iron Man, you got anything else for me? Nope. Nope. I'm Nothing good. at all. All right. Well, we look forward to the next couple of weeks. We've got some exciting guests as we discussed. Might sneak one in here or there. If we've got a topic that you want to know about, legal issue you want to know about, or just something you think would be interesting to discuss, please reach out on Facebook or YouTube, and we will definitely get back with you. Uh, we've got a couple of people who've been talking to us about some interesting episodes, which we may try to work in, one of which is the Lucky Monkey. I think the Lucky Monkey's been uh, giving us... Yeah, I, we, yeah. we, we don't know who the Lucky Monkey is, but... Oh, I figured it out. Did you? I don't I would like to talk to you about that after the show off air. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks again, everybody for listening. And until next time, thanks for being on and listening to the SOL podcast. Thank you for listening to SOL. Join us next time on Facebook live, YouTube live and iTunes for additional information or questions related to your legal matter. Contact the Baker law group at 614-228-1882. That's 614-228-1882. Be safe, know your rights and follow the law. This podcast is adjourned.